Oh, your English is good. That letter you wrote to me was really good English. Who wrote it? Oh, so it was really good. So, well, dynamic duo. You know, it's like Batman and Robin, they work together. So, because people want equality, they want justice. They have to understand that if you really want equality, then, and, and you want to be a rational human being, that, um, I mean, many, I think some, I mean, there are intelligent people in the world who uh, really want to be reasonable. They want to get it right. You know, they want knowledge, they want to understand things, the world as it really is. And so, if I, let's say I'm a sincere person, a lot of people, you know, they just, they're beer heads, as we say, but um, they have beer in Israel, don't they? Yeah. They do. Yeah. So, if someone wants equality, and because people feel it. I mean, people feel in their heart that actually, despite all the differences, somehow we are all one. And so if you, if you feel that and you... It's actually a symptom of the mode of goodness. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 18, text 20, that, that um, he calls it sattvika jnanam, that knowledge, which in, that, in this context means like worldview, that those whose knowledge is in sattva the mode of goodness, they see that, yes, there is variety in this world, but behind that variety, there's a oneness. And so basically, anyone who is predominantly a good person, anyone who's just really a good person, they will feel that oneness. And they will realize that all these separations, like you know, wars and fighting and people hate each other, this, this is artificial because we're all just one. So if you want that and you see it, you see the oneness and you want that oneness in, in the world, and yet you understand that the bodily identity can never be the basis for that oneness. And if you have any intellectual integrity, in other words, if someone is honest, if someone has integrity, if someone, you know, it matters to someone to get things right, and they understand that it's only on the, on the, on, on the platform of the soul that we really have a proper understanding of that quality which we want so much, that oneness, that and that because our bodies are different so that's it, it's the soul which unites all living beings so again uh when you're it, it's like if you're learning to play a musical instrument you know don't do it like that don't do it like this so if you just um they had actually this uh in california which is a remarkable place and sort of an inexhaustible source of silly ideas <laughs> and also a lot of good things of course so they had this self-esteem movement they're like the greatest sin you can commit is to somehow lower someone's self-esteem and so they actually they, they, they started it in the schools like public schools children where the teacher would never say to the student you are wrong or that's wrong it's always or, or that's bad like if the student gives the wrong answer it's well, that's interesting. That's an interesting answer, Johnny, but let's, let's think about that. Or 
okay, Johnny, you just kicked you just kicked Judy in the face. Well, what were you feeling, Johnny? I mean, what did you? No, I'm not saying he was wrong to kick Judy in the face. I'm just saying that you know, let's talk about it and tell me about your feelings and and so you know they had this whole thing and the result was that they basically ruined you know a generation or half a generation of people because in the real world some things really are bad and some things really are wrong in the real world and so when these children graduated and went out into the world they were dysfunctional and they became angry at the world and they just they couldn't function they were just you know they were really kind of ruined by this by this whole thing and so so I think people who are, um, again, we're looking for people who are like, like that famous Vedic sage, Satyakama, which means a lover of truth. You know the story of Satyakama? Famous story from the Upanishads. Satyakama, his name was, there was this boy whose mother was really at the absolute bottom socially. She was a prostitute, and and this is in like conservative Vedic culture, and he wanted to study the Vedas, and in those days only Brahman could study, and then you had to learn from Brahman. So he said to his mother, "I want to study the Vedas," and he knew, like when you fill out an application for school, the first question, you know, last name, first name, and so it was the same. You know, it's always been that way in ancient times. So he said to his mother, "What's our family name like?" Who are we? And of course, there was, I mean, there was no question of someone in that social class studying, being accepted by a Brahmin. He was like the lowest. And so his mother said, well, that's a good question, Sonny. That's a really good question. And I don't really know who your father is, you know, due to some, uh, you know. Professional problems. Yeah, due, due to uh, vocational issues. And so, but since my name is Jabala, then your name is Jaibali because I mean Sanskrit is like Kunti, Kuntea, Pandu, Pandava, where they're called uh, uh, matronyms or patronyms, names made from the mother's name or the father's name. And so he said, "Well, if you, she said if you go to a guru, I guess just say your name's Jaibali." So he went to this teacher, and this is like this is like in a very rigid sort of Karmakanda culture where uh, you know unless you're a Brahmin and a high class Brahmin, you couldn't be accepted. So this great guru said to him, what's your name, kid? You know, where are you from? Who's your dad? And so he said he was so honest. He said, you know, that's an interesting question. And I asked my mother that very question. And she said to me that uh, she kind of was uh, all over the place in her youth. <laughs> and, um, and she doesn't really know who my father is. But... Since her name is Jabala, you know, I'm Jai Bali. Glad, you know, glad to meet you. <laughs> and so, so this great guru said, you are so honest. Because he just didn't, he said, you are so honest that you're a Brahmana. And, and he actually became a great Vedic sage named Satyakama. His guru gave him the name Satyakama, lover of truth. And so ultimately, um, it's very simple. You believe in this, and yet that's not the explanation of it. This is the explanation of it. So in other words, if, if you accept the principle of equality, 
then you actually are believing in a soul. You may not know it, you may not put it in those words, but that's what you're doing. When you say we're all equal, you really are talking about a soul. And, and then there's the example that Krishna gives in Bhagavad Gita. Dehi no dehi, where he says that you, you have experience, you have direct experience that you were a child, you were an adolescent, you continue to be an adolescent for 20 years. I'm just kidding. So, you were a child, you were an adolescent, and then, and then you become <laughs> an adult. And so, um, but you're the same person. Now, one thing which is sometimes said in, in academic philosophy, epistemology, like the philosophy of knowledge, how do you know? What does it mean to know something? That um, everyone, every person, has a privileged or a special understanding of their own internal consciousness. In other words, other people may know you, someone may say, I really know you, but you directly experience your own existence as an individual person in a way that's beyond what any other person can experience. And, and, and at that deepest level, at that deepest level, you know that you exist as an individual person. It's, it's, and, and that person, and you know that when you were five years old, that was you, you know it was you. And, and, and it's not like how do you prove it because it's self-evident. It, it's the basis of everything else we try to study in the world. It's something which is immediately and self-evidently true. For example, the philosopher Descartes, René Descartes, you heard of him? Oh, just the name. Then he was a nice guy. So, <laughs> another guy. So, <laughs> so Descartes, in the in the 17th century, in the 1600s, uh, Europe was kind of was coming, definitely coming out of the Dark Ages. I mean, it was already the Renaissance, and it wasn't just this like uh, Monty Python movie. You know, it wasn't just like this total religious fanaticism. And so Descartes, he created this very interesting, in a sense, very revolutionary project, philosophical project. He said, what if for the moment, just for the purpose of my, what he called his meditation on, on truth, what, let me imagine or let me say to myself that everything, Everything that I think I know may not be true. Everything that I think I know may not be true. What if I doubt everything? This was very revolutionary because in those days, you know, you know what the priest says and, and you know, the priest tells you and the church tells you and, and all that. And so to say, let me imagine that everything I believe I know, what if it's not true? And then he said, is there anything which I absolutely cannot doubt. Because I can doubt everything. You know, any, anything that you think you know, you can just say, well, what if that's not true? But is there something that I cannot rationally doubt, that if I doubt it, I'm just being an idiot. I, I'm not actually being fair. I'm not being reasonable. Is there anything that I cannot doubt? And so he said, yes, the first thing that I cannot doubt is, and then he said it in Latin, cogito ergo sum, that I'm thinking, therefore I exist. Because if I doubt the, the very fact that I'm thinking, so if I doubt that the act of doubting is a mental act. And so if I doubt anything, I must exist because otherwise how could I doubt it? How could I be engaged in this mental activity? 
And therefore, he said the fact that sum means like Spanish soy, uh, it means that I, I, I exist. I can't doubt that I exist as an individual person. And then he went on to build a whole philosophy where I cannot, ultimately cannot doubt the soul, I cannot doubt God. But if you just stick to this, if you just stick to that point of um, that you exist, and you cannot doubt you exist because by doubting it, you're proving it. So you exist and you know more deeply, than, more powerfully and more basically than you know that you're in this room. You knew that you were a child, but it was you. And you know that then you, you know, grew into a teenager and all that. And so, yet your body's changed. Your body's complete. It's not that your baby body just grew, stretched <laughs> into your adult body. I mean, the skin, every two weeks, you have, you're in new skin. So if someone's very romantic and, oh my God, I touched her. And then, uh, and then two weeks later, oh my God, I touched her again. But it's... Um, you know, the second time, you're touching a different skin. I mean, it's kind of gross, but, um, <laughs> but that's the fact. So when you do the, you know, Spieglein, Spieglein on der Wand, mirror, mirror on the wall, you know that thing? The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Ahankara meditation. <laughs> so when you look in the mirror, you're literally, you are seeing a different face than you saw two weeks ago. It's a different face. And so therefore, because we know that we are the same person, I was a child, I was this or that, I was a juvenile delinquent. And so, you know, we know it was me, but the body's completely different. And therefore, it's simply not possible that you are the body. It's simply not possible. And so... It's just, the real problem is not that people think differently. The problem is people don't think. Thinking is like, oh my God, you're thinking. That is so 20th century. <laughs> so, that's just the state of the world. And there are people who really want to know the truth. You know, there's not like trillions of them, but... There are people, and, and actually Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, you know, Chaturvidha, Bhajante, Mang, Jana, Sukriti, you know, that four kinds of people approach me. And he said of those, the most dear is the one that approaches me because he or she really just wants to know me. You know, they really, and not just like curiosity, you know, like, but someone that just knows me or really wants to know me. It's like, for example, let's say you meet someone, and the person says, hey, you know, what's your name? Hey, where are you from? Hey, you know, what do you like to do? What's your favorite music? What's your favorite ice cream? You know, so someone, someone can just be curious about you, but it's not the same thing as someone that really wants to know you. That really wants to know you. You know, really cares about you. I really want to know who you are. And so Krishna says that it's, it's, it's the soul that really wants to know me not just curious, but really wants to know me. That's the one who's most dear. And so, yeah. I mean, obviously, if someone's not interested in philosophy, like, hey, man, you're just, you're just like stuck in your head, you know? I mean, if someone's like, because there are people like that, they're, they're um, sort of cerebrally challenged. And so, you know, with every person, we just try to give them what they need. It's like, so we don't force, but, but if, 
if you meet someone that's intelligent and really cares about the truth, then we have to explain it. You understand? Yes. Uh, the intelligence is supposed to be above the feelings. Intelligence? Above the feelings. Above right, 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 that's right. <laughs> uh, but there are some people that they are like, uh, the feeling side is really strong. Yes. So, um, um, Kirtan. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, if, if people are like that, then we just try to give people whatever will help them. You know, that, that's personalism. So if someone, you know, just their feelings and try to explain to them. You brought up a similar point. Yeah, I mean, how much Krishna loves them. The fact that Krishna says in the Bible, you know, Krishna loves us and, and he's in our heart. And he's our best friend. I mean, if you think about it, we may have so many friends or family, but Krishna has been with us forever. And it's just like a child. I mean, if you have a child, the child may do so many crazy things. Of course, you know, you have Gopal. I mean, where's Gopal? <laughs> <laughs> He's doing crazy things. He's doing some crazy thing. Like, so, but you know, I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, you know, every child, but, but like, like, like the mother, the father, they just, they always love their child, isn't it? They always, and so Krishna's like that. He always loves us. And, and here, like Gunavatar and Barshabhanavi, who are doing such wonderful service and really giving their own love and, and then giving their lives to, to so many people. And so, on that level also, so we just, it's like we somehow have to reach people. So whatever level they're on, we have to be there for them and just somehow try to reach them. But if, yeah, so if someone is, has strong emotions, then engage those emotions for Krishna. Because if you have strong emotions, but you, I want to engage those emotions for Krishna, that decision to do it for Krishna, that is intelligence. So it's not that you have to be like an analytic philosopher and always be analyzing things. It's not that. But if you just make that simple decision that I should do this for Krishna, I should feel for Krishna, then that means that all of your emotions are actually governed by Bodhi. You don't have to be like a, you know, a thinker with clouds over his head or something. <laughs> but if you just make that simple decision that I'm going to do whatever I do for Krishna, then your whole life is actually governed by Bodhi. Yes? Years ago, I heard a lecture by you about the, um, about the guru, mm. and you spoke about, um, uh, I don't remember the phrase, but if, uh, you practice what you preach. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I don't remember the, the exact uh, phrase in uh, Sanskrit. Uh, uh, how do you say, you practice what you preach. Oh. Um, what? What was it? Acha, 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 pracha. Oh, 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 uh, oh, achara prachara. Achara means like good conduct, good behavior, and then prachara means preaching. Okay, so my question is uh, about um, about Christian West. 
and it's about the contradiction that I have. When I'm speaking with someone, I don't feel that I'm lying or don't tell the truth, but I'm making it moderate or telling them what they have to hear, yeah. and not what, it, what the real practice is. Well, give an example. What, what might you tell them? I'm not telling about the regulations. I'm not telling them about really how to approach Krishna. I'm telling them... You don't even tell them that cow dung is pure? It's <laughs> <laughs> the first thing. Yeah. How, how should I approach them? How should I uh, deal with uh, this? Uh, even Prabhupada. Prabhupada once wrote me a letter. In 1972, when I took sannyas at the mature age of 23, <laughs> I took sannyas before my brain was fully formed. But anyway, uh, that's probably why I took sannyas then. So. <laughs> I would have had a fully formed brain, I might not have done it, so. But anyway, so, then I wrote a letter to Prabhupada and I said that um, I was going to preach in the universities. And Prabhupada wrote back and said, please, like, for the love of God, you know, please do not present Krishna consciousness as just a bunch of rules. He said, Krishna consciousness is the most sublime philosophy. So, for example, I, I, we were just talking, talking to a guy, that, um, let's say I'm driving my car. In California, there's a lot of mountains. There's actually two major mountain ranges on the coast, the coast range and then the Sierra Nevada inland. So, so a lot of times you're driving on mountains. If you drive around California, you're going to drive on mountains. And so, they have these signs like slow, dangerous curve. It's not a rule. It's not like, okay, some you know, malicious bureaucrat is just uh, making me slow down here. It's not a rule. It's like, you want to live? Slow, slow down. And so I don't think of it as like a rule. It's not like some kind of bureaucratic rule. It's like, slow down. There's a dangerous curve. And so in my life, I mean, there's, there's, there are some people and they, they uh, bless every religion and even other groups and who just love rituals, love rules. They never met a rule they didn't like. And so, <laughs> it's, like, it's like that definition of a priest. A priest is a person who has a deep fear that someone, somewhere, may be having a good time. <laughs> So yes, I mean, there are people that just, you know, this rule and that rule. I remember one time in Atlanta, I was GBC of Atlanta. The meaning of those songs I love so much, and, and still do, actually, I still, I still love And so, um, yeah. The Bakhtin program, and um, so she came to me one day and said, I'm really confused. And I said, why? She said, well, you know, I thought I was, I was joining, like, Bhakti Yoga, and I was, you know, Absolute Truth and all that. There's all these things, all, you know, the girls tell me in the ashram, like, oh my God, you drooled, drooled, you know, while you were sleeping. So now, you know, the ghosts are coming and you got to do this and that and this rule and that rule. And she's like, oh my God, this is like a, this is like a zombie movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in that sense, the purpose of Krishna West 
is just give people the simple spiritual science. That's what Prabhupada said. He said, present Krishna consciousness to intelligent people as the most sublime philosophy. I can honestly say that everything I do in my life, I do for a good reason. If there's some kind of technical rule that makes no sense to me, I just like, you know, I just, I mean, obviously the four regular principles make sense to me and I, and I you know, it's not, I'm vegetarian, but, but the point is, you know, like, like, you know, some devotees have all these rules, this rule and that rule, and I just like, get a life. <laughs> so, I mean, of course there are basic rules that we should follow, we must follow if we want to be spiritually strong. I'm not talking about the... And, and Rupa Goswami talks about that. In the Nectar Devotion, Chapter 6, Bhakti or Samrita Sindhu, there are basic principles which you really have to follow, but then there are other detailed things which are, you know, they change. And so, oh my God, I was, I was reading today someone's website. It's actually a nice devotee, be intelligent, but it was like in Ecodacy, you should really only take milk and this kind of vegetables or fruit. And if you eat any other, even if it's an Ecodacy prashadam, you know, the more you eat it, the more you lose the power of Ecodacy and this and that. It's like, oh my God. You know, just not eating grains is like, that's enough. <laughs> because I know myself, I don't have the hill for it. I don't, I don't, I mean, if someone, if someone is enthusiastic and wants to completely fast, that's great. That's wonderful if they want to do that. Prabhupada never did it. I mean, and when Prabhupada was here, it was very simple. Don't eat grains and beans. Next. So, but, but then again, if someone wants to perform some special austerity or they're just attracted to it, or that, because some devotees, sort of have the nature of tapas, you know, they like austerities or, or they feel somehow it's helping them. And that's great. That's wonderful. But it's not something that everyone has to do. And so, like in my life, whatever I do, I do because I have a very good reason to do it. So I don't see my life as following rules. I don't feel like I'm following rules. I just feel like I'm staying on the road. I'm staying on the road, I'm avoiding things, which obviously, it, it, it's like when I'm on a road and I see that, oh, there's a cliff and it goes about a thousand feet straight down, you know, it's not that I don't drive over the cliff because it's a rule, it's because I don't want to kill myself. And I know if I do certain things, I'm going to really mess up my life, I'm going to suffer, I'm not going to be happy, I'm going to just create so many problems for myself. So why do it? Why do something if I know I'm just going to make myself unhappy and create all kinds of problems for myself and problems for other people. So Krishna consciousness is not rules. I mean, there are, there are I mean, technically there are rules, but it's really just following the path. It's staying on the path. And like you come to an intersection, you know, there's an arrow, like your GPS. That's all it is. You know, sadhana bhakti, it's just a spiritual GPS. Like, you know, you, you know, you are 10 miles from Krishna Loka. And <laughs> so if your GPS tells you, you know, turn to the right, no, I'm not going to follow that. Why? I mean, if you want to get there, it's to the right, stupid. And so, you know, if you want to go there, it's to the right. And that's all Prabhupada's doing. Prabhupada didn't come to give us rules. Who cares about rules? All we care about is following the path. And so naturally, to stay on the path, you don't go too far this way, you don't go too far that way. You know, as Dorothy said, you know, you follow the yellow brick road <laughs> and you get to the supreme Oz. <laughs> um, 
So you understand. And also another important thing is when we talk to people, it should be a dialogue, not a monologue. It's like, I just want to tell you. It, it's not just, it's like you go to a doctor and the doctor says, oh, I don't want to diagnose you. There's this medicine I always wanted to give somebody. <laughs> and I really love this little green medicine. I just, I just like to make people take this little green medicine. So, 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 so it's, it's not, I mean, if you're a doctor and, and you just like for some crazy reason just like to give out certain medicines, no, you've got to find out what the patient needs. So it's not like, I just want to tell somebody this. So, I mean, it's not being duplicitous. When you, when you meet somebody, that that's compassion. That's the compassion. What does this person need? And how can you know that unless you talk to the person? Because everyone has their own, their fears, their hopes, their, you know, they believe certain things, they don't, and so, so everyone's different. And so, and that's why I think why uh, Varshabhanavi and Gunavatar have been so successful because they're, they're so personal. And they, they really care about each people. They don't just, you can't see other people just as theological categories. You are a fallen jiva. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, I don't want to know anything more about you. That's all I need to know. You're a fallen jiva. You are a philosophical category. I'm going to deal with you as a philosophical, I just deal with you as a philosophical category. So that's the compassion also. That you care enough about people to really get to know them and, and, and to give them, you know, as they say in America, TLC. You know what that is? Tender loving curios. Not to be confused with KFC, which is... A, <laughs> Actually, th th this is so gross, but it's true. The reason now they call it KFC and not Kentucky Fried Kitchen uh, uh, Chicken is because the food is so artificial and plastic that legally in America they were forbidden to call it chicken because it's so plastic, the food. So, anyway, yuck. So, what time is it? Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. At ten o'clock, I turn into a pump. What do I turn into? Just the short one about the car. About what? I said just the short one about the car. Wasn't he responsible for the automotone? The who? The car. René Descartes. Oh, Descartes. Yeah, he, he spoke about the automaton theory. Oh, I... I cool. So why do we listen to him, anyway? Well, it's it's like if someone's a good doctor, but a terrible massage. I mean, you, in other words, you just... It's like he, he did some good things, but he also had some serious ignorance. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's un very unfortunate that... But, I mean, but if I go to a good doctor... someone who said such a thing... But you have to understand the age he lived in also. Yeah. I mean, people were so ignorant. For example, back then, like when... I would give this example in Vasco da Gama, when he sailed to India, everyone in Europe, I mean, everyone in Europe believed that India was a Christian country. Because there was this legend that one of the apostles, you know, James was like, went to India and converted the whole country... I mean, so, I mean, come on, don't be so stupid. Of course there's not any. I mean, they, they could find out. It's because India was always trading with the Persian Gulf. The Persian Gulf was always trading with 
you know, Europe. Turkey and, and everything, and, and, and Europe was trading with Turkey. And so, but for centuries, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine how ignorant these people were. And so in that sense, Descartes, considering the age he came from, was starting to make progress. Descartes was Catholic. He was a French Catholic. And you have uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas, who wrote the Summa Theologica, you know, and, and which in its time was actually kind of revolutionary. So again, and, and it, was, it was Thomas Aquinas who, as they say, he baptized Aristotle. Because he just took, because Aristotle was the philosopher. I mean, Plato was not was lost for a while, and then Plato came back. But so during the Middle Ages, uh, Plato, Aristotle was just the philosopher. So if you said the philosopher, that was Aristotle. And Aristotle has this idea where there are different kinds of souls, and the souls of animals are not like spiritual souls. So, so the soul of an animal just means almost like its its biological structure or its anatomical structure. And they, yeah, automatons that animals aren't, aren't really persons, and so. Thomas Aquinas just took it from Aristotle. I mean, Plato was more spiritual, but uh, but Aristotle was a little more materialistic, and so and then so Aquinas took it from Aristotle, and then Descartes took it from Thomas Aquinas because that was the doctrine of his church. And so, um, so when you kick a dog, it screams just because of self-preservation and not because the, it has a yeah. I mean, he was clueless about that. At the same time, there's two ways to look at it. You can say, well, here's this really intelligent person. How could he be so stupid about dogs or about other animals? Or you could say, here is someone in Europe at a time when they're just starting. They're just, well, it's a renaissance. Of course, it's a renaissance by then. But they're just really coming out of these dark ages. They're coming out of this really abysmal ignorance. And he's, the people are starting to think and they're starting to reason, but they haven't really come out of it yet. I mean, Prabhupada, you know what the word renaissance means, right? Rebirth, renaissance, rebirth. And so actually, Prabhupada completed the Renaissance. I mean, basically, in, in ancient times, you had this advanced civilization, especially in Southern Europe, you know, Greece and Rome, Athens and Rome. So you had this really advanced civilization in terms of, in terms of literature and philosophy and, and art. I mean, in many ways, they, they certainly had their problems, they, you know, serious, but still, in, in many ways, it was a very sophisticated civilization. And then the Roman Empire collapsed, the Germanic barbarians took over, and civilization just went phew, it just dropped. And so you had this super sort of sophisticated culture, and within a few centuries, it was hard to find someone that could read and write. So it, it really, I mean, society really just collapsed. And there's a whole story that started to come back. I mean. And then at a certain point, you know, Charles, uh, Charlemagne, Charles the Great, and they start to build schools again. And so, um, but, but society really collapsed. And then, so around the 1300s, some like famous thinkers like, um, um, oh my God, you know, Petrarch and Dante, you know, Dante, the writer, and, Dante, mm -hmm. and it started really in Italy, especially in Florence. And, and they began to think that, hey, wait a second, if you look back to that ancient civilization, those people are really intelligent. And look at now, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> and so they realized that, they actually realized, I mean, they got to the point, they realized that civilization really had collapsed. And I mean, it started earlier with the high Middle Ages and everything. So then it was those people way back then, they're the ones who created these names like the Dark Ages. 
and the Middle Ages. Why do they call it Middle Ages? Because it was in the middle between the great classical civilization and the rebirth of that civilization again, and that was the Renaissance. So that, those were their words, Renaissance. And in between these two great ages, you have the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. But the Renaissance is really ultimately a rebirth of Vedic culture. Because if you look at, for example, Roman religion, or even Greek religion, it's very much what I call Mediterranean Hinduism. I mean, it really is. If you look at it, it's, it's even the language, ancient Latin, I mean, Greek and Latin, it's very much like Sanskrit. I mean, not just like this word sounds like that word, but it goes into the, like, really deep grammar, the, the, the way the languages are organized. And I'm just giving you one simple example. Just one simple example between ancient Greek and Sanskrit. It's not just that so many words sound the same, like you have a hum, which becomes ego. But in Sanskrit, it's, it's an inflected language. I don't know Hebrew. That means instead of using, like you don't say to Krishna you, or unto Krishna, you say Krishnaya. Like you don't, so, so unto is a preposition. You don't say I bow unto Krishna or to Krishna. You say namo, uh, namak Krishnaya. Or if Krishna is the subject of the sentence, like Krishna sees, Krishna pashati, or I see Krishna. Then you say, Pashye Krishnam. So when you put an M, Krishnam, it means it's the object of the verb, I see Krishna. Or if you say, I go with Krishna, Gache Krishnena. So Krishnena means with Krishna or by Krishna. Or Krishnaya, unto Krishna. Or Krishnat, from Krishna. Krishnasya, of Krishna, like it belongs to Krishna. Or Krishne, in Krishna, like Krishne, Swadam, Upagate, and so on. So, so it's an inflected language. So Sanskrit has eight cases. And if you look at those eight grammatical cases, you find that three of them are very similar. Namely, the nominative, when the, when the word, say, Krishna, or any noun, subject of the sentence, the accusative, when the word is the object of the verb, and the vocative, like, hey, Krishna. Hey, Krishna, Karuna, or, or, or for example, like Radha, a feminine word ending in A, if you're addressing the person, it becomes A, like Radhe. So what's interesting is you have these three cases, nominative, accusative, vocative, which are very similar to each other, and then the other five are similar in other ways. So there's like these two divisions. Exactly the same thing in Greek. Exactly the same thing in ancient Greek. Nominative, vocative, accusative, one group, the other ones, and, and they even make, like, they make endings in some way. So it's, the, the, the similarity, it goes very deep. It goes into the deep grammar of the languages. It's not just that words are the same. And so, um, anyway, so if you talk about a renaissance, if you really want a rebirth of classical civilization, why not go all the way back and have a rebirth of the Vedic civilization? And so therefore, when Prabhupada came to America and started the movement, he was actually completing the Renaissance. So, I mean, from that point of view, so what I tell people in America, especially the gringos, you know, like, like the white Americans, is that um, this is not a foreign culture. This is actually, you know, this is like the original culture. So... So in that sense, we, we can see ourselves within history and, and understand what's going on. It's like, you know, it, it, it's like if you look at a picture of yourself as taken from outer space, you're going to be very small. 
And so in the same way, we are within history. You know, we get absorbed in the moment, but actually we right now, it's just like right now we're on a planet. We are these little things on a big planet and, and we're in the solar system, we're in a galaxy. We are actually inside of a galaxy right now. <laughs> Although we don't think about it so much. We think more like, I'm in this room. But we're actually in a galaxy, we're in a universe. Similarly, we are within history. We are inside of history right now. And so it's good to be able to explain to people, to show them this is where you are. It's like those maps, you are here. You know? Mapat. It's, I saw that. that um, so, so like you are here. So if you can locate yourself within history and then explain to people. It's fantastic that you said about Prabhupada completing the uh, Now there is uh, 10,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> 10,000 years to uh, eat too much prasadam. <laughs> So, I guess maybe we'll stop here for now. Uh, anything else? <laughs> well, make an offer I can't refuse. <laughs> yes? I've seen it two days back on the internet. A priest from a temple abroad. And he was presenting Krishna consciousness on television. And they said we are a sect of Hinduism. And, uh, really? I'm glad somebody finally told me that. <laughs> <laughs> so the way he spoke about it to the first, to the interviewer and his wife also, as introducing um, themselves as Hinduism. As what? Practice Hinduism. Hindus. Oh, really? So it's, it's very weird. Oh, who did that? Who, who, who did that? <laughs> <laughs> I think in Europe, a lot of um, people, uh, uh, how do you say, think about themselves as... Well, or, or the, yeah, you mean, you mean were these ISKCON devotees? Or? Yeah. Oh, they were, as I say, playing the Hindu card. <laughs> it's, um... <coughs> if you look at, if you look at how Lord Chaitanya dealt with it, when, when, I mean, even Lord Chaitanya, sometimes when he's speaking to Muslims, like they would say, oh, you're a Hindu. So he would just like talk to them because they couldn't understand anything else. But um, it's also good to, you know, to explain how Hinduism is just a modern word and so on. So it's difficult in Israel to preach to people that we are Hindu. Religion. Oh, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a Hindu. Jewish. Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, I always say that I, I, had, I, had, I had just wonderful, happy experiences in Judaism, so that's what I explained to, uh, speaking to an intelligent person today and saying that I'm just building on what I learned. It, it's, it's not that sectarian idea that, okay, I'm rejecting this religion to take that religion. It's rather that, uh, like I always say, Judaism is my Vartma Pradarshika guru. You know, because I, I first learned about God, and I really experienced God. I experienced God in Judaism. And so there's no question of rejecting it. It's just a question of building. So when I was a child, when I was young, and I, and I heard like, uh, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, 
or that um, you know you should love God with all your heart, soul, and might. I actually took it very seriously. And I mean, I, I was—I remember I used to—it was inspiring to sing that Shema, Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Anacha Baruch Shem Kavod, and all that. I mean, I used to love that. I was a little rabbi when I was 12 years old. <laughs> I actually was. I used to lead the service for all the young people. I mean, I, they asked me to do that. I, I didn't just grab the position, but. <laughs> And when I used to go into the synagogue, we, we had a beautiful synagogue where I lived. It was, it was a very nice Jewish neighborhood. And uh, there was a beautiful synagogue. And when I went into the, you know, the main synagogue, I really felt the presence of God. I mean, Krishna was really there. God was there. And I really felt God's presence there. And I, I knew that I was in a very special place, that, that somehow God is really especially manifest here. And I love the kirtans. I love the stories. And... and and so there's no question of rejecting it. I mean, there's no question of, of rejecting something like that, but I'm just building on it. So that I took very seriously the idea that, uh, you know, loving God with all your heart, soul, and might. And so I'm, therefore, I, I've tried my best to understand what God is. Yes? Where in About, about this new God, Krishna? Oh, not at all. No, no problem. <laughs> because I never, I mean, thank God. <laughs> I grew up, you know, I was a California Jew. And uh, in, in, a, in a conservative synagogue. And it wasn't reform, it was conservative. But uh, I don't think I ever in my life doubted that there's one God. It was, it was just obvious. In fact, when I was looking for God, I was studying world religions. I was, I was in Berkeley, and, and I had come to a serious decision that I have to find God. I have to understand God. That's what it's all about. After I, you know, I was, spent a summer in Europe, 1968, the age of 20, and was it 20? I was 19. You know, I, I, I kind of went off a cliff on a motor, motorcycle and survived. And got you know held up at knife point in uh, Tangiers and somehow talked my way out of it and went to the Arctic Circle and <laughs> so I you know I had all these adventures and and uh, and after all this I, I just decided that you know loved and lost and and so after after after, <laughs> after all these experiences I actually I remember that I, I was in a train. I was coming back from North Africa, which I, uh, of course, I was in Tangier, so it's like a border town, but I found it a little like, uh, no, I don't think I'll spend much time here. <laughs> and so I, I was taking a train back to Madrid to get another train to Paris. And on the train, there, and there was, I remember there was, a, there was this nice guy, about my age, he was a, an artist from Paris, and he just somehow liked me, wanted to travel with me, so, I, you know, we were traveling together. Although he didn't have enough money to go to North Africa, so I went alone. But, um, so I was on the train, I still remember, I, I was a writer, you know, I was like this intellectual and writing, and I was, and so I remember writing in my journal, like, coming to decision that I am going to try to understand God, and that is now the purpose of my life, that's what it's all about, because I realized everything else is just superficial, and if I don't know what God is, I really don't know anything. So I came to that decision, and then I went back to the university. I had to stay in school because there was a Vietnam War going on and I was too young to get my throat cut in a jungle. 
And so, although there's really no good age for that. So, <laughs> so I had to stay in school. And, but I remember that became my life project, to find God. And every morning I'd wake up and you know, I had to walk to campus. And, and I remember every morning, I just, as I was walking to campus, I was just meditating. You know, what is God trying to understand? And actually, I gradually discovered that God is in the heart. I actually, I mean, I was doing like consciousness and just trying to find God. And I talked to all these different preachers because Berkeley was just like a cosmic circus. It was like that bar scene in Star Wars. <laughs> Except, yeah, I mean, it really was. I mean, all those creatures were there in Berkeley at the time. So. <laughs> and I was talking, you know, I, I mean, I went to the Hillel, you know, the Jewish thing. I even talked, I, I had become so liberal and, you know, so wild. I even talked to Christian preachers and, and I was talking to everybody. Like, okay, tell me your best knowledge. And, and I was just like, I had no concept of sectarian religion and you know like there's false gods and real gods and there's you know the false religions I mean I wasn't thinking that way I was just looking for God and so it was so intensely and then after a few months of just looking 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 I was walking home one day I lived on this beautiful street actually called Piedmont near the campus and someone came up to me and a, a devotee came up to me and said our Guru is going to speak tonight. So can you come? And when I heard that, my first thought was, oh no, another Swami. Because when I was, eight, when I was 18 years old, I took a, a class, sociology, like beginning sociology. And so it was one of those little, you know, little freshman classes. We had to go around to all these different religions, like Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, like Buddhist, Hindu, and just write a little report. It's, you know, one of those little classes. And so for the Hindu side, I went to hear the Swami. And uh, anyway, I was, I went with the, uh, my significant lady friend. And so we went to this, we went to this program and um, it, was this, it was a Swami in a saffron robe and he just sat there and he just, because I really wanted knowledge. Like, if you know something, say it. I had no patience for esoteric mystery. If you know it, just say it. And so he started saying, like, in this high voice, everything is all right. <laughs> there is no problem. Relax. <laughs> and he just kept saying that and things like that. And there was no, like, philosophy. And so, I mean, I was young, I was 18 years old, and, and I was 18, and so I, I almost burst out laughing. Because <laughs> you know, I started, I, I remember I was there with a girl, you know, I started drawing funny pictures, and, and I literally, I, 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 was all, I, almost, I almost lost it. And so, you know, there were like some adults there, I was that, definitely not an adult. And um, so these, <laughs> these adults were turning like, shh, shh. Because I, I could hardly, you know, when you're young, you just can't. See. <laughs> so then, um, so then, two years later, when they asked me, "Hey, come and hear our guru," you know, Swami, I thought, "Oh, this is gonna be another one of those." <laughs> but I liked the devotees. I liked. I just knew the devotees. I thought anyone who would shave their head and go out in public must be very sincere. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so, <laughs> so I walked in, and those days that was that was this is 1969, you know, it was just everything was like experience and consciousness, and so. So when I walked in, I wanted to experience it. Like, if I'm going to go there, I want to experience it. And so it was in this, uh, anyway, this is beautiful little hall. And I walked in with some friends. We walked in, and um, everyone, they, everyone sat down in the chairs. And I told my friends, no, nah, I really want to, I want to experience this. So I walked up to the front and sat down on the floor with the devotees. And, um, and then Prabhupada came in. And as soon as I saw him, I just knew, oh, this is very serious. Because Prabhupada, <laughs> he came in, he's probably surrounded by, you know, Vishnu Jana Swam, he wasn't saying Vishnu Jana and Tamal Krishna actually. And so he was surrounded by these devotees and my first impression, the first time in this life I saw Prabhupada was, he is like a commander. I mean, I just knew this person has authority. And in those days, we didn't think anyone had authority. Our parents, is that a joke? <laughs> Our professors, clueless. I mean, no one had a, the government. That's a bad joke. So, I mean, for us, no one had authority. But as soon as I saw Prabhupada, I knew he has authority. This, it just seemed like he walked like this, like this natural commander. And that was my first impression. And then Prabhupada came, and there was a little stage set up. He sat on the Vyasasana, which in American Sanskrit is the Vyasasana. <laughs> so he, he sat on the Vyasasana and, um, and the kirtan started. I, I didn't tell you the story before, did I? The kirtan started, and you can imagine the devotees. I mean, they were all young. They were all my age. They were just like, you know, 20, 21, 22, or like that. And, be, and because Prabhupada was there, they were just so ecstatic. They just began dancing. And I, was, I had never experienced ecstatic religion. You know, I just went to the synagogue and... <laughs> Shema Yisrael, thank you, now sit down. And so, you know, just like this nice sedate service. I mean, I loved the singing, the cantor, it was beautiful, I loved it, I still do, but, but this was ecstatic. The devotees were, were dancing and jumping, and then Prabhupada got up off his seat and, and began dancing and jumping. And then I thought, I thought, oh my God, this is... I just knew that I was witnessing something extraordinary because at that time, that was 1969, early 69, Prabhupada was um, 72 and a half years old. Which at that time, I mean, you know, at my age of 20, 72 and a half was like 7,930. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and, and so when Prabhupada started dancing, the devotees went berserk. I mean, the devotees just went completely mad with ecstasy. And I remember I was in the middle of it and I just saw bodies flying all around and leaping. And, and I was right in the middle of it and I was just like... And I, I always tell this story because it's true. I remember there was one moment when I actually became completely disoriented. It, it's like Arjun says in the Gita, when he sees the universal form, I no longer know what the directions are, like what's up, what's down. And I actually thought to myself, are the devotees on the floor, on the ceiling, or on the walls? Or, I just saw these bodies flying all around me. And, um, and I, to be honest, was not that ecstatic. I mean, I was chanting, and, but, but then in my heart, Krishna told me, I mean, I actually understood in my heart that these people are actually practicing, 
they're following principles. What are you doing? You're just a, you know, you're just just a you know hog you're just trying to enjoy the world and so i knew i didn't deserve it i knew that i wasn't feeling the ecstasy because i hadn't earned it somehow i understood that and so but it was such a hippie time do you know what black lights you know like with the posters black lights like hippie said you don't know that anymore what just violet yeah 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 so it was such a hippie time that the devotees were giving out a little souvenir to the and so they gave out was like 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 an ultra like a poster of Narada Muni that was red and purple and blue that you had to put that light, on. <laughs> and that was that was a souvenir for the program. But um, so yeah. So your original question was <laughs> confusion. Oh yes, yes, yes. So no, I uh, <laughs> no. The answer is no. <laughs> I never, I think, I, I don't think I ever thought for a moment that, I mean, I mean, I always knew it's just the same God. And I felt actually that finally, finally my, my, how should I put it, my sincere Jewish devotion had, had really been blessed. That now I could really understand the meaning of those songs that I love so much, and, and still do, actually. I, st I still love those songs. And so, um, yeah, so I could never reject Judaism because I first found God there. And, and, there was, and I had, I mean, it's just, there's no reason. I mean, it's not, it's not, how could I reject my experience with God? Or hearing stories about people who loved God. I mean, how could, what, how could you reject that? So rather, I felt that finally, I, I, I'm learning about what it all means. About what it really means and, and who God really is. And so, yeah. I, I never felt any conflict. I felt, um, I, I just felt so happy that, I could, and it was just so obvious to me, I could see it, that in all these religions, they're worshiping the same God. But that... Um, the way I put it is, like, like in our tradition, Vishnu is God at the office and Krishna is God at home. So just like, you know, for example, I would, uh, my father owned these stores and so sometimes I'd go help him work in the store. And so, you know, he was always a loving father, but at, at, at the store he had, to, he had to be the store owner. He had to take care of the customers and he had to, you know, he's more serious. So that was the Vishnu form of my father, but, um, <laughs> but then at home he was just, you know, just my father. So, um, yeah, these, these things about loving God and, uh, yeah, all the sectarian stuff, it's really, you know, it's just, it's just wrong. Like, for example, there's one uh, that, uh, that famous Psalm of David. In English, they translated in the King James Version, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that still inspires me. I mean, it, it, I sometimes almost, you know, almost brings me to tears. I mean, even today, if I, when I read that, it's, it's just, it's, I just find it thrilling. And so, um, yeah. Like, like, I, like it, it, I mean, as souls, it's not that when you go to heaven, it's like there's a joke in America that um, some guy goes to heaven and he's, you know, he's being shown heaven and then he sees this big wall in heaven. You know that joke? There's a big wall, and so he says, why is that wall there? Oh, and then his, you know, the angel tells him, oh, the Christians live behind that wall. 
Well, why? They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, so obvious, or I guess it could be also certain Jewish people could also be behind the wall. So, the idea is that when you go to heaven, you're just a pure soul. You have no ethnic thing, there's no, you know, material race or ethnicity, you're just, it's just all pure souls. There aren't Jewish neighborhoods and Christian neighborhoods in heaven, it's just, we're all pure souls. So, so down here as a human being, of course there are different things, but, but no, it's all the, I, I was so thrilled to see that I, I was approaching the God of all religions. So, no, never had a problem with that. <laughs> <coughs> oh, we'll go. That's my uh, Mr. Singh, my driver. You know that because because in India, if you, and you take any taxi in North India, and it's Mr. Singh, because they have a monopoly on all the. They drive all the buses and they drive all the taxis. <laughs> yes. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you for asking questions and saving me from that. <laughs> <laughs>